Welcome to Baseball Biz. I'm Mark Harbage, your host, and with me is Brandon No Way, that prognosticator, that sports analyst, and the man who knows all things about sports. We're glad to have you here today, Brandon, as always, as the co-host. How you doing, man? I'm doing really good, and it's great to be back. It's great to be back, indeed. Here we are, recording on a, what is it, Wednesday morning. You know what? I wanted to celebrate this morning, too. But first, let me run a couple of couple of jokes, if you will. <laughs> is this a good way to start a show with a couple of jokes? I don't know. Yeah, it's a good way. So what does the Pope, a Supreme Court justice, and an umpire have in common? They're all old. They, ooh, ooh. Yell that. And it seems like they never have to retire. Okay. Oh, uh, yeah, that too. <laughs> uh, what two major events occurred in 1976? This isn't so. Let's see. Oh, I know. The USA celebrated a 200-year birthday, and MLB National League gave birth to the Major League umpire, Joe West. Oh, what, what a great time. That's Bringing right. Joe West into our lives. That's right. I mean, we were celebrating the bicentennial, and what better time to bring a personality and umpire with conviction like Joe West into Major League Baseball. So I was I was happy to see that. and. And they celebrated a record of his the other day. So we're looking at, at, at a 60-year-old umpire who broke an 80-year-old record. I didn't know Joe West was only 60. <laughs> 68. Oh, oh, never mind. I didn't give enough of that. Yes, uh, he, he's beyond <laughs> most of the most retiring ages. So he and the Supreme Court justices may be there forever. But he, he broke this record. You know, you and I were talking about this last year because – we knew with a 60-game season he wasn't going to be able to do it. He could have done it last year, but with 60 games, it just wasn't going to happen. And that record is? Uh, I found it. It's 5,376. So he's a record breaker of 5,376? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Well, I, I hope he appreciates what he's done. He actually, that came, that record was set previously by Bill Clem. And that's why I was taking, talking earlier about it being like 80 years later, because Bill Clem, I think he retired in 1940. Bill Clem is also one of two umpires in the Hall of Fame. The Baseball Writers Association actually set up a Bill Clem Award. And that's uh, to be handed out, I guess, each year to outstanding umpires. So the question becomes, will Joe West, when he retires, will he be put into the Hall of Fame? Will he receive the Bill Clem Award? Or will there be a Joe West Award? Ooh, you could have a you could have the country Joe West Award for the the most versatile umpire, because he can sing, he can umpire. Oh yeah, I mean, this guy what was that? I think it was back in nineteen eighty seven. He he released an album, Blue Cowboy. It had like uh three original songs on it and a lot of covers. One reviewer for the Cleveland Plain Dealer said, let's see. Listening to the first excerpt of his Blue Cowboy made me balk, you'll pardon the expression, at listening to the second, but I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, Joe could have called him on that balk. <laughs> have you ever listened to any of his music? I have not. Would Have you? <laughs> I've only heard one song, and that's because they played on the radio. I believe it was called Out at Home. 
and it it went pretty much how you'd expect it to go. So you never heard it again on the radio after that? Nope. It was a sports talk show, so okay. that's my only reason. It, it was in the top 40, and I do have to confess, I have not looked it up, you know, in on my streaming service, so we'll, we'll let's see. I'll, I'll do it later, but the, the Blue Cowboy in 1987. And while we were talking about him breaking that record, he could have actually broken it a few years earlier, Brandon. I mean, he uh, he's a man of conviction. We talked about that before. He made, I won't go into what it was, but he's made his political views known very clearly to anybody who will listen. And on, on top of that, that conviction, uh, his conviction was that he, his conviction. <laughs> that doesn't sound right. From his ideas and him standing behind his thoughts, he resigned in 1999 from MLB. Him, he himself, and uh, 21 other umpires in a labor action. You know what MLB said? We'll take those resignations. Glad to see you. Bye-bye. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Once all this has been resolved, whatever is going on back and forth between their union and MLB, Joe will be back. So it didn't happen immediately. They had to take it up to the National Labor Relations Board and said that what these umpires did, all 22 of them, this was a concerted action protected by law trying to go, you know, basically to arbitrate something with them. So what happened? MLB uh, settled with the union and a few umpires received severance pay and others were allowed to retire. But West and several other of those umpires were rehired back in 2002. So MLB had the opportunity, I guess, to say goodbye to Joe West in 2002. But he obviously was very interested in coming back to the game and was able to do so. And I, for one, I'm glad to see him back. I mean, he brings an entertainment to the game that goes beyond what happens on the mound. Yeah, he, he is entertaining, even though I think he, he sucks at being an umpire and he's kind of annoying, but Ooh. He, he is entertaining, which baseball does need. Well, you know, with that 5,376 regular season game breaking Bill Clemp's record, he, he here's one thing he said. You and I know sometimes that people either exaggerate or they do a parallel on some other event or person that seems much greater than whatever that political person or anybody else is talking about. And in this case, Joe West said, uh, when he tied the record for Bill Clinton, he says, I know what Lou Gehrig said about being the luckiest guy in the world, but that's me. West said, Bundy, I say. <laughs> oh. But then Tuesday, uh, I guess when he broke the record, he was greeted, he was greeted, <laughs> he, <coughs> oh, wow, he was greeted by the San Diego chicken, presenting him with flowers, they even put something up on the billboard. And from my understanding, there was some cheering and there was some booing. What would you expect? I mean, he's an umpire. Yeah, I mean, people know him more for all the wrong reasons. And what would those be? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe some of his calls that he's made. No, I'll tell you what. We've, we <laughs> see some weak ones this past, this past week as well. And not just him. But... Uh, at the conclusion of that White Sox-Cardinals game, his record-breaking game, he got uh, some praise from another fossil. Let's see who. Oh, White Sox. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who could I be speaking of, Brandon? Um, is it Mr. Uh, 
Oh, I, I can't hear that joke. Is it oh, the guy who calls out his own players for for um, you missing mean signs? T- Tony Larusa, the White Sox manager. Could it yes. be? Well, you you know, so he's already given a very popular opinion about his own players and about it's okay to throw a ball at my players. Well, here's what he had to say <laughs> about West the other day. He's quote the perfect guy to set the record because he represents what a lot of umpires should be. Very consistent. He kept control of the game, and that's what an umpire is supposed to do. <laughs> we need that Price is Right buzzer for when they get the price wrong. We need that right there. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. That is per- that, that. Yeah, I'll see if I can find a sound effect. Beep. You know, we'll put that in. <laughs> oh gosh. Oh, Joe, we were having a little fun at your expense. I hope you don't mind. And, it's uh, not personal, but congratulations on the accomplishment. No. But we we got to take a little bit of fun at you. Yeah, yes. He's Joe West, and yeah, country Joe West, country Joe West. So all of you, if you haven't gone, been able to go out there and buy his album, check it out on YouTube somewhere for the Blue Cowboy Joe West, a record breaker <laughs> and a memory maker. And boy, he's a real ball. Oh, never mind. <laughs> hey, if you're nice, I might get you his album for your birthday. All right, man. I've got something to look forward to. <laughs> I gotta be able to find it. <laughs> well, as long as we're talking about old gas. I see Rich Hill. What's he <laughs> the pitcher for the Rays the other night? He he broke a record on old guy record. He pitched uh, a game against the Royals with thirteen strikeouts, man. Thirteen strikeouts. I believe that was a record for the oldest pitcher with 13 strikeouts in a single game. Yeah, yeah. So it's <laughs> Rich Hill. That's a big hill to climb. Oh, that joke. Uh, <laughs> but he, I, I've been excited watching being a Rays fan. And to see him pitch eight innings last night, to me, that was exciting too. It was, it was amazing. And I was glad Cash kept him in there that long. Yeah, I, I was kind of surprised to see him still in there, and it said eight on the uh, the uh, Fox or Valley Sports, whatever it's called now, on their little scoreboard. That was surprising. Yeah. Uh, it's crazy. But, you know, so the, the Royals, even with all the hard work that Rich Hill put out there, the Rays offense just couldn't stand up that game last night. Royals wound up winning two to one. Ouch. Yeah, it wasn't the prettiest games. Of course, the offense stalled out, even though they've been doing really good over their recent win streak. You know, it's impossible to, you know, bat a thousand. You're going to lose some games. You're going to have some, some off days. And this seemed to be just one of them for the offense. They did so well on the road, though, Brandon. They go back to the drop and start out with us. We'll see tonight. I don't know who's on the mound, but we'll see what they do tonight. Maybe it was that long trip home from Dunedin. <laughs> Well, they were used to flying, and they probably had to drive a car for a couple of hours instead. <laughs> oh, gosh. <clears throat> for those of you who don't know, I think Dunedin's like 30 minutes away from the trop. There you go. <laughs> I, I heard somebody's talking about the length of the drive from the uh, the hotel where most of the popes, excuse me, where most of the opposing teams stay in St. Petersburg at the Benoit. It's like, yeah, it was about a 15-minute Bus ride. I thought, dude, you could walk it in 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah, with traffic, probably. 
Oh, see, folks, the Trump is really close to you. It's available. All right. I'm not going to get into a Trump discussion, but I do want to talk about that. The raise they did have an 11-game streak, which that winning streak put them close to the all-time when they had, was it 12? Yeah, I believe it was 12. Yeah. I'm look that up quick. Yeah, that was underneath Lou Pinella. While they had this winning streak, the last four games were played against the Blue Jays in Dunedin. But the Blue Jays didn't allow that four-game losing streak to get in their way. After being swept in Dunedin, they decided to go to New York City and celebrate. And they did. They wound up beating the Yankees last night. And it came from a couple of juniors, man. We're talking about Vladdy and Yuri Gurriel Jr. And Vladdy hit uh, a mile marker the other night, too. What he hit... uh, He's leading with 16 home runs for the season. Yeah, he's doing it pretty quietly, too. You don't hear him getting the the love that is deserved, in my opinion. Well, well, you're right. And, and you and I both know that we've always said, well, the Rays never get enough attention. Actually, the Blue Jays never get enough attention. So that's that shouldn't be a big surprise, even with even with the team that they have and the players they have right now. I mean, you got Vlad Jr., you've got, uh, what's his name, Simmons or Siemens they brought on. You've got... Obviously, you're Guriel. You have Bobachet. You have, oh my gosh. And there's guys I cannot just, for one reason or another, I can't think of their names. It's Turner, I think, is with them too. Mm, great team. Great team. I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, how they do the rest of the season. I, I, I see at the end of the season, you can see Rays and Blue Jays at the top of the, uh, the AL East. Yeah, it, it wouldn't shock me, but I mean, Toronto has been inconsistent to start the season and we're closing in on that time where it's kind of, you need to start to get going because it could get out of hand pretty quick, even though they're only four and a half games out. It, it can get out of, out of hand in a hurry, especially if one of these teams goes on another big win streak. Talking about the ALE, can you give us kind of a breakdown? What's going on with the, the division standings in Major League Baseball? Yes, we are bringing back the division standings, and of course we will start in the AL East. We have a new division leader, the Rays, off the back of their big win streak. They now lead the division at 30-20 and 20 with the Red Sox a half a game back, Yankees a game back, Toronto four and a half back, and Baltimore now 12 back. Going over to the AL Central, the White Sox lead that at 28-19 and 19, with the Indians a game and a half back, the Royals four and a half, Twins nine and a half, and the Detroit Tigers hauling up the rear at 10 and a half. In the AL West, the A's, they still lead that division at 28-22, and 22, with the Astros a game behind. Seattle four and a half games back, despite being no hit twice in a two-week span. The Rangers in fourth at 22-28, and 28, six games back. And the LA Angels bringing up the rear as well. Actually tied with the Rangers at six games back, but they have a 21-27 and 27 record. Now they're suffering from uh, having Mr. Trout out, aren't they? Yeah, they they really haven't seemed to get their footing this year. I mean, Otani has been really good, but Trout, of course, going down a couple weeks ago, I believe that really, really hit them hard. And they just seem like a team that can never really put it together, even though it is early. There's still time, but they they really can't dilly dally around. So, what is, else has happened amongst the divisions? All right, so wrapping up the AL, we're gonna head over to the NL. We'll head back east with the Mets. They actually lead the NL East at 22 and 20, 
a game ahead of the Braves who are 500 at 24 and 24. The Phillies are in third, a game and a half back, 24 and 25. The Marlins two games back, and the Nationals three games back. So a tight division race, and it seems like anybody can win that. Heading to the NL Central, the St. Louis Cardinals, they lead that division at 26 and 22. The Cubs only a half a game back at 25 and 22. The Brewers are in third at 500, two games back. The Reds are in fourth, 21 and 25, four games back. And the Pirates are in last at seven and a half games back. No, not the Pirates. <laughs> Great. That hurts. No, I don't think Pirates fans were really expecting much from that team. I honestly can't even name a player on them. No, no. I, I can name two they had a few years ago. <laughs> I can name three. Yeah. Go, go ahead. Name them. Um, I believe Archer, yeah. Austin Meadows, and Tyler Glasnow. Wow. And we gave them Archer and took him back. Yep. And lastly, wrapping up the standings with the NL West, the San Diego Padres lead the West 31-18 and 18, with the Dodgers hot on their heels a half a game back. Giants are still hanging in there at 29-19, only a game and a half back. The Rockies, they're back quite a ways at 19-30, and 30, so that's 12 behind. And the Arizona Diamondbacks are 13 games out. 13 games out. Well, I guess the, 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 the Pirates have a chance by comparison. But that is a tough, tough, tough division. It is, and honestly, the Giants have really surprised me. I don't know how long they'll... They'll stick around in this race, but it's good to see them contending for a division, even though you look at it, they're in third, which isn't great, but it's right there for the taking so far. So, you know, how many games are they back? Uh, just a game and a half. Jeez. So, wow, they, they could do it. I'd really be curious to see Longo in there again, too. It would be. It'd be cool to see him have a chance to get a ring again. Wow. And we briefly mentioned the you know, the difficulties that the Angels are suffering with Trout and how they're doing okay with Otani. But they maybe they're being haunted by the ghost of Bubba Harkins. Do you remember him? Oh, uh, yeah. He was a topic for a couple weeks. Back in uh, March of 2020, he was like the clubhouse manager for the opposing team. And one of the things he did was prepare the baseballs prior to the game. We talked about this on a previous uh, episode of Baseball Biz. I'll put that link up to that show on later on today. But the whole idea was that Bubba was, as the story goes, Bubba was taught about how to put on and create a special sticky stuff for the balls. And this was a a pitcher who had left the Angels, but he had imparted and shared this grand knowledge to Bubba on how to do that. And then the Angels had came out with some, I don't know if it was MLB or just the, the Angels and said, here's the requirements, and if anybody's using this, they're going to be gone. Well, Bubba said he didn't get the memo, and a couple days later, he was gone. January 2021 comes around. He had taken it to a court case, and they lo- he lost. So that is just one part of the whole sticky stuff legacy. <laughs> uh, but but this it was addressed long before then, long before March 2020. I mean, Trevor was talk- Trevor Byron was talking about this, wasn't he, Brandon? Yeah, he had to give his opinion on this just as well, even though he, he was asked about it. And he said some pretty interesting stuff. Yeah, what was an interview, I think, with the Sporting News. 
Uh, he said, well, what? I think everyone agrees. It's pretty widespread. It's a fairly well-known secret, if you even want to call it a secret. But the issue is we didn't have the technology before to quantify exactly how big of an impact that can have on a game, on the pitcher's success, on his overall repertoire, on his future monetary compensation, on whatever. Now we do. We've done the research. We know how much it can increase your spin rate. We know how increased spin rate can improve a player. We have free agents getting signed based on having a higher spin rate than another guy. If I could put pine tar on my hand, increase my spin rate 200 RPM, and then get a job over another guy who isn't breaking the rules, how is that fair? And the Sporting News asked him a little bit more. So when it comes to sticky stuff in Major League Baseball, do you expect anything to change one way or another? Again, this is an interview in 2018. Byer said, I hope it does. I'm not convinced that it will. I have no delusions about the situation. It's not something that went they want to address. It's not something they want public. It's part of why there's been such backlash on me making it public. No one wants to talk about it, he says. But it needs to be talked about, especially as teams use this information more and more to evaluate players and sign players and stuff like that. It creates a massively unfair playing field. Looking at that, yeah, I can make an impact. What 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 happened with Garrett Cole? I mean, Bubba Bubba Harkins was saying, well, you know, I mean, people knew I was doing this. I had a text, you know, with Garrett Cole because see his name's on my text here saying, hey, can you give me some more of that sticky stuff? Well, what his defense, whatever, whether they thought Garrett Cole actually did or not, did not keep him from being fired. So, you know, Garrett Cole, he was able to negotiate a decent contract, wasn't he, Brandon? Yeah, he, he got paid. And another thing, going back to Bauer, what year did you say that article was? That was the 18? Yeah, 2018, correct. Well, he must have hopped on the bandwagon because prior to 18, he didn't have an ERA below 4. Looking at this just quick, his lowest ERA in the majors was a 419. That was in 17. And then after that, in 2018, it dropped down to 221. Then it went to 379 and 19 with the Indians and 639 with the Reds that same year because he was traded. Then it was 173, and this year is 198. So I'm wondering if he maybe caught on to it and said, hey, maybe everybody else is doing it. They're getting an unfair advantage. Maybe I should hop on it too. Or maybe he was just a late bloomer and... He's actually a really good pitcher and they need to, to do it. Byer has addressed it. Byer's looked at it. He may have used it. I've, I've read some things where he and his father actually talked about how it would increase spin rate. And if there is, at one point, I think he said as many as 70% of pitchers were using this. If that's the case, why shouldn't every other pitcher use it until there's a little bit more direction from MLB? I mean, it's not illegal, and from what I understand, it's not against the rules, or MLB is just not enforcing it, and if it's not against the rules, then I'd say maybe just do it until they do something about it then. Here's the thing. If you're going to make it against the rules, there's a couple of reasons. One, if it's not, it's not fair to everybody if only a few are doing it. Okay, that's one. Two, it creates... I don't know if I'd say a super player, but an enhanced player by using some outside material, okay? 
And it does tilt what players are able to negotiate. If you're a guy who hasn't been using it, then right now it's shame on you. There was that story a while back. They were tre- checking the balls that Trevor Barr was using. And, you know, he kind of said, no, that's not really what's happening. And I kind of believe him because I think if it was, there would be some controversy about that. I, I never hear a catcher saying, oh, my glove, what's, what's this resin that's all over it? I never had that at the beginning of the game, but once I start catching the balls, oh, look at this. And a lot of times, you know, the, the umpire during play of the game picks up a ball and has to decide, is it scuffed too much to allow the pitcher to use the same ball? Or if there's really this going on, wouldn't they recognize it when they pick up that ball in the field? Oh, this, this is kind of sticky. Ooh, this one shouldn't be in the game. What, what's going on? I honestly don't know what's going on. I was listening to Rich Eisen the other day, and he was talking about something like this. And somebody got their first hit in the majors, and when they, you know how they get the ball back. They were on the bus going back to the hotel, and they were passing the ball around, and they were still able to pick stuff off of the ball. I mean, that seems ridiculous to me. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Uh, I mean, the NFL seems to have an answer for this. After the Brady Deflategate thing, they thought they needed to address it. What, and let's see. Looking at, they actually have game ball procedures. How that works? Well, this is one excerpt from their rule book. Two hours and 15 minutes prior to kickoff, both teams will be required to bring 24 footballs 12 primary and 12 backup to the official's locker room for inspection. Two game officials designated by the referee will conduct the inspection and record the PSI measurement of each ball. The league's secretary representative or the NFL operative rep will observe the inspection process. Primary game balls for each team will be numbered 1 through 12, and any game ball within the allowable range of 12.5 PSI to 13.5 PSI will be approved. And the PSI level will not be altered. Any game ball that is determined to be over that will either be deflated or inflated to 13 PSI. The, the same procedure will be followed with respect to the backup balls. And I'm kind of, uh, so, well, I'm not going to end all this. But it's interesting to see upon approval, each game ball and backup ball will be stamped with referee's distinctive mark down the middle of the non-insignia panel. The number of the ball be placed at the same location. A game ball or backup ball will not be approved after receiving six referee marks. <laughs> Man, they, they treat this thing like it's the, the launch codes or something. Oh, it's it's crazy. It's crazy. Well, well let's, let's play this bit here. You were talking about Eisen earlier, what he had to say about it. Get rid of whatever crap the pitchers are allowed to put on the baseball. Home plate umpires, you feel that ball and you feel like your fingers can't come off it? Stop play, walk to the mound, make the guy take off his cap. That's it. <laughs> okay, I mean, Eisen makes it fairly simple. It's, it seems like you put somebody in charge of this in the sense that if the umpire is touching a ball, it seems sticky, go out there, greet the pitcher at the mound, and uh, hey, let me see a hand of yours. What do you got stuck up there? Hey, what about <laughs> in that belt? You got something underneath that belt? We need to take a look at that because something's happened to this ball somewhere from the time you get it until it comes to the home plate. So what's happening here, buddy? 
All right. Now that we've gone on and on and complained about the situation, we need to give solutions, Brandon. I mean, Isaac gave his there. What is your your profound wisdom? What can you share with us about this? I mean, I don't know if there's like a guaranteed lockdown way to prevent it, but I was thinking maybe you do something like the NFLs where you inspect the balls pregame, you do something like that, or maybe you don't give the balls to the teams pregame. You have the, the league takes care of them, they just mud it up. And it's in control of the umpires and teams don't get it themselves. Maybe something like that. Or you could just keep it the way it is. And every time a ball is tossed out of play, because they seem to do that after every pitch, you just toss it to like the replay person there with their little pouch. And they kind of inspect the ball and see if it's too sticky or something like that. I like that. I like the Mattel guy giving him something to do between (laughs) between challenges. You know, he's sitting there with that little bitty box all the time. Hey, uh, my tail guy, come here. Get off your katukas. We want you to check something for us. You are now an honorary umpire for the next five minutes checking these balls. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, <laughs> somebody needs to do it. And, and like you're saying, though, even even if they do everything prior to the game, there's still the possibility that a pitcher could uh, affect the ball. I mean, there have been in the past pitchers who marked the ball up or whatever. That's one of the reasons that the umpires check them after a couple of pitches. Well, okay. Ah, you know, I think we should have the ball boys involved too. <laughs> they should gather each one of them up, and as as they're going out of play, or as they come up behind them, they're kicked out by the catcher or the umpire. They gather them up, they take them back into a room, and you have scientists there analyzing each one of these balls, running them through a spectrometer to see what's been put on them. I mean, that's just my thought. That shouldn't cost me. That's very scientific. Yes, absolutely, and. And the, and the baseball owners had the money for him. So, hey. All right. Did I just, did we exhaust that topic? I don't, I'm not sure. <laughs> I say we did. We seem very smart. Oh, gosh. Well, it's something that's still going to be talked about more and more over the next few weeks. But we have given our insights and we have given MLB solutions for this. MLB, listen up, man. Take it to heart. If nothing else, do like Eisen saying, hey, have that up or check it out. Okay, you gave us some homework last week, Brandon. Yes, I did. What was that? Something like, when was the last time a pitcher led the majors and homers? Okay, well, the dog ate my homework, okay? I would have brought it here today. <laughs> but uh, the dog, dog ate my homework. I did steal information. I'm sorry, I did uh, research information <laughs> from Wikipedia. And it was interesting to see... The number of home runs that some pitchers had, had achieved. You know, the whole idea of kind of talking about this was because of what, everything that Otani's been doing. And let's see, looking over the years, the first pitcher to ever officially hit a home run was Jack Manning. And he accomplished that feat back in August 3rd, 1876. And then he had what's the most home runs by a single pitcher in a single game were three home runs by Jim Tobin on May 13th, 1942. So we're looking back a few years on these. <laughs> I, I know as I went down the list, I was not surprised to see some names like Don Drysdale and Bob Gibson in there, Walter Johnson. I mean, Walter Johnson, the legend. But on, on some of these, it was also not surprising. There was notes saying 
hit one home run, hit two Rome pumps, whatever, as a pinch hitter. So if they were in rotation, they still could have came in and hit for the game. Otani's doing that now. Yeah, he's he's blown past these guys and their their career totals. Yeah, you know, so he's not out there just every fifth game. He's out there, you know, probably three or four games in between. I don't know uh, as a pinch hitter. That's uh, that's kind of what's been happening as far as looking at the homework assignment. And we got anything else? Oh yeah, here here we go. In 1929, West a guy who joined the Indians, and let's see, by the season's end, he was noted to have an excellent fastball, which complemented a good curveball and a deceptive changeup. He posted a 21-10 win record with 100 strikeouts and a 3.6 earned run average. All that time, he was kicking it to, you know, at, uh, at the bat. He had... A career total of 38 home runs. Lastly, we'll dig even deeper. John Eller, Jack Stivitz. He was a professional baseball pitcher who played 11 seasons from 89 to, not, 1889. Let's be specific. To 1899. He played in the American Association with the St. Louis Browns in the National League with the Boston Bean Eaters and Cleveland Spiders. Wow. Cleveland Spiders. You think that's the name they should use again, man? I mean, kind of a unique name. It is. And, I mean, you're kind of jumping away from that for a bit. But, yeah, the Cleveland Spiders. I mean, there's been some discussion, of course, about the Cleveland Indians name and just referring to Cleveland as the Cleveland baseball, baseball team, much like Washington. Of course, they don't call Washington baseball team. <laughs> <laughs> the football team. The Cleveland Spiders. That would be neat to touch back to something from their past. And Spatters has got kind of a, you know, feeling to it. Anyway, if you're looking at a competitor, I would be more intimidated by a spider than, say, oh, a Red Sox. The Cleveland Spiders. Kind of a cool name. You could do some cool logos oh, with that, yeah. too. yeah. You know, and with all the graphics they could do and the movement, mm, that'd be something. I digress. But that's what homework I can still read from what the dog chomped up on. <laughs> Or we'll do better next time. All righty. Let's see. What else can we address today, Brandon? Uh, we have two things we can address if you like. Sure. Jump right on in. Of course. I mean, we've kind of talked about it before, but all the no-hitters, why are there so many? And what do we think could be a solution to maybe calm those down a little bit? Yeah. I mean, what is it? We've had... Sixth thus far this year, maybe yes. 25% into the season. And I, I can't remember if it's actually more than what we had in 2019 or not, last full season. But uh, it's it's insane. You know, like I said, if we, if we want to call, call uh, <laughs> give Mad Bum the also uh, one for his seventh, seven inning game uh, no hitter, then that would be seven. Ooh, I, I don't know. I, you know, is does it actually depreciate the whole idea of a no hitter when you have so many? And what's happening with it? Maybe sticky stuff. Maybe maybe there's uh, more control, more things that a pitcher can do. There's there's more strikeouts going on. I say to me, I don't think it's just one single single thing is causing all this. I think it's you know a 
a group of things. I think it's, you know, maybe the sticky stuff that's increased a bit over the past couple of years. You know, the spin rate, the shift has gotten more ridiculous, it seems like. And how many hits are taken away where there would be a hit in a normal, normal setup, but they're hit right to somebody now. And plus, batters, it's pretty much been encouraged to be home run or bust, where, hey, if you don't hit a home run, then strike out trying. They don't just try to put the ball in play anymore. It's just, it's just the home run or bust thing going through the game right now. Yeah, you know, you and I were talking about when the Rays were playing the Blue Jays recently that uh, Tech Data Park down in are up in Dunedin. It's a very home run friendly park, so we saw plenty of them there. But if they're playing other parks, may not see that. You know, and if you get a great outfield, you're not going to see that either. Uh, balls that and we thought would probably be out of the park in past years may have been uh, impacted, not just by sticky stuff, but also there was a deadening of the ball by MLB this year. And that could be part of the reason we've seen it. Uh, here's another option. Are the umpires calling more strikeouts? Are they, I, I don't know, I'm looking at things here, and I, in some cases i got to wonder if they're hitting even 80% accuracy on some of these strikeouts. Some of these where I see a, a ball that must be three or four inches outside of the range is being called as a strike. Is that happening more frequently? I don't know. I don't know if it's that, but or if we're just focusing more on umpiring. It does seem like they are missing more calls this year than any other year. Well, let's see what uh, we talked about Rich Eisen earlier and how he felt about how he felt about sticky stuff and his solution there. Here's Rich Eisen's words on how to fix baseball. Get rid of the shift. I'm sorry. Get rid of the shift. Well, there you go. Get rid of the shift. Get rid of the shift. <laughs> <laughs> well, you said that a moment ago, and, and it makes sense. And it, it, I, I've always felt teams that don't have the money, I understand why they do it. It's a way of trying to beat the handicap when you got an Aaron Judge or somebody up at the plate. But uh, it, it does look ugly out there. And I've actually, I don't say I've been a proponent of it, but I wasn't an opponent of it either. But as these no-hitters grow, I, I think maybe they should consider going back to where you have players in the proper position in the outfield and the infield. I was going to say that, I'm, I'm so conflicted on banning the shift. On the one side, I hate it, and I think it's, really unnecessary you could just move guys back or shade guys that would take up more space to me but also i don't want to ban it because you're supposed to be the best hitters in the world right. and you have all this knowledge and analytics that you know, teams are so smart nowadays if there's only one guy on the left side of the field and he's nowhere near the third base line why can't you drop him a bunt down that's basically a free base right yep. there. Why can't we just do that? I guarantee you, if, got, if teams started to do that, you'll see less of that dramatic shift. Yeah, yeah. And, and you would certainly see some of those no-hitters going to the trash. Uh, we were even looking, I think, last year, some criticism of a player. The, the pitcher had a no-hitter going, I think, to the ninth, and the opposition hit a bunt and got to first base. And it was like, how could you do that, that man? He was so close to getting a no-hitter. <laughs> well, he's playing a game, and I'm sorry if no-hitter is something that you want to put a pair on your 
be a little bored and show mommy and daddy that you achieved that. But, uh, eh, you know, that. so I, I'm like you. I'm conflicted about the shift. And once again, what did Eisen say? Oh, okay. Get rid of the shift. I'm sorry. Get rid of the shift. No shift, buddy. <laughs> and that's, that's our solution, which is maybe no solution whatsoever except figure it out, MLB. <laughs> you know, Theo Epstein, I'd, I'd like to see, he's, see what he's working on because they brought him in, sharp, sharp, sharp fella. And I'm curious to see if he brings in some, some other changes. I know we're, we're trying some changes at the minor leagues. We'll see how those turn out. So while we're talking about the MLB and we're talking about some of the owners and such and helping in, in some of the changes and regulating, et cetera, there are partners out there who are not overly pleased. And specifically, we're talking about some of the minors, I should say the minor Ray partners, that organization. And I hear the cry go out and it says, let's sue Stu. So Stu Sternberg is being sued by some of the minority owners of the team. They're alleging some sort of malfeasance and what he's doing with money, etc. I don't know that that's the case, you know. There's always going to be somebody who wants that extra dollar. So we'll find out. And it's easy to not necessarily be crazy about Stu Sternberg and some of the changes he's made, and particularly the talk about moving the team to, well, not, excuse me, sharing a season in Montreal with the Rays. The X-Rays, Expo Rays. Help me, help me, help me, help me. I can't, I can't deal with it anymore. <laughs> I mean, I don't think it's a secret. I'm one of those people that despise Sternberg. And he honestly is someone who has single-handedly affected my love for the Rays. And I used to love this team. And look, they're an easy team to root for. They're likable. And... Just this one guy single-handedly does ruin it with all his stupid stuff. I mean, they're they're in the middle of a win streak, a historical win streak for the organization, and then this drops out. They make it on a run to the World Series, and they're talking about moving to Montreal. That's the only way to do it. Stuff like that. And even bringing the Bronfman guy to when they could have fans for the ALDS here against Houston. Right. He's bringing him here. And it's like every single move... When you should be excited for the team, he basically sticks up his two middle fingers to the entire fan base in Bay Area and says, oh, don't enjoy it too much. Yeah, and, and you bring up bringing the Bronfman guy in. And for those of you who may not know, he is what uh, I guess had been a owner uh, or part owner of the Expos. And he's the guy that's been working with Stu now in the last few years to bring up that split ballpark thing, which is going to be interesting anyway because – you're talking about the trop going away. What are you going to do with some kind of open air field here in, in Tampa for a major league baseball team? I don't know. Uh, I, I, was, I was reading an article too, Brandon. Let's see. Oh, I want to say one thing good about Stu. He's got Eric Neander, okay? I understand the Rays organization is like any business, and it's there to make a profit. And they're going to do some of the things that they've done. But the best thing that Stu ever did was bring in Eric Neander. A man whose decisions are often questioned by fans when a favorite guy has let, wants to let go, who's traded. But he's made some really good, uh, really made some good trades that made a difference for the team. Eh, so that, I'd say that's the best thing that Sternberg did. But one of the things that Stu is being criticized of and is that he was actually negotiating 
back in 2014 with Canadian investors. Okay, let's let's stop here. Again, I don't have anything substantiating, but it's been reported that way. And if that's the case, though, that went against an agreement with St. Petersburg because they have an agreement that any negotiation for any other location first had to be approved by the city council and mayor of St. Petersburg. They're the one leasing the trop, and that's part of that agreement. So whether that impacts what the partners are doing or not, it sounds like it could impact you know, the legality of those negotiations. And I'm looking here, Brandon, at the Montreal Gazette, an article that ran March 28th this year. It was written by Jack Todd. And he said, don't bet on split Tampa Montreal ballparks for revived expos. And for those naysayers, there is zero chance a MLB team is going to make the Olympic Stadium in Montreal a permanent home ever again, and zero chance a new ballpark is going to be built entirely with public funds. <laughs> well, that's that's kind of what we had hoped to do here, right? I mean, Stu wanted a new stadium, but uh, I think he was going to put in a very minor percent of what it was going to take to build, and Tampa said, no, I'm sorry, we're not going to put up the rest of it. we got taxpayers here who want to save some money. Florida's had a hard time with building professional stadiums. Just look down in Miami. I think they said that could cost the taxpayers like $2 billion over the time for it to be paid off, something ridiculous like that. And the, the Ray Stadium, they projected it to be at the most a billion dollars, which isn't horrible. And Stu only wanted to put up a hundred a hundred million dollars. It's like, come on now. Come on, Stu. You can do better than that. You call yourself a professional baseball owner and that's what you're gonna do. It's it's just insulting. Everything he does insults everybody. But he's a smart businessman. Uh, agreed, and, and I know Dick Vitale agree with you. I know when when all this came out initially, he he put a video out there, and part of it was saying, "Come on, Stu, come on, be play with the big boys," you know. <laughs> and he was right, because it, it, it doesn't seem like we're going to do it. Okay, well enough about Stu. I, I don't want to go on any more than that, but I will say take one more thing here on the Rays, and that was last night in the game with the Royals when they lost, when Rich Hill had thirteen strikeouts. And you wouldn't need a shift in the outfield because we have Kevin Kiermaier. And, <laughs> and Kevin Kiermaier, man, he is amazing. Uh, if you watched SportsCenter this morning, it being Wednesday, you would have seen of their top 10 plays. Kiermaier hit number five and number two. Both of them were outstanding plays. You know, Kevin is, this, he's great to watch. I mean, excitement and the showmanship too. And the performance is amazing. The number two that they had on him last night, he ran across the field 104 feet to catch a ball. Now, he's running over in the left field, and you know Meadows is working left field the other night, and he, he cuts him off. Uh, uh, see, they had StatCast running and said Kiermaier only had a 10% chance for the catch. Well, I think they meant anybody, because they certainly didn't mean Kiermaier. But, but you know, in his ability to do that, it seems like every time he goes on the IL, he comes back either stronger or more demonstrative in his talents onto the field. And there was a question a couple of weeks ago about when he ran over to the left field and 
kind of cut off a Rosarina from catching the ball. Hey, he's the highest paid player we've got, so we do expect him to be the highest performer. Thoughts? Yeah, if he, he could get better in some areas. I think he's the best center fielder in the game. They can probably work on, you know, communication in the outfielders and the outfield because somebody's going to kill somebody out there because they don't seem to understand how to do that. Just feeling a simple I got it would, I think, would help tremendously. <laughs> and if they do that, maybe they just need their hearing checked because I don't feel like losing Meadows or Rosarena or Kiermaier because they can't yell I got it or they just can't. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the potential for injury is huge. And you'd hate to see a great player's career, you know, be short, not necessarily shortened, but be impacted by it. So they could be out for, for who knows how long. It could be a, a few days or a week or more. So we want to keep those players healthy. And Kevin and the rest of you guys, talk to one another. Makes a difference. <laughs> hey, I do want to end on a bit of good news. I saw this morning that uh, Jacob DeGrom, man, he kind of came back into the game. You know, he'd been out for a little while. He's what well, he had some. Uh, Right side stiffness, I believe. So he was out for a bit. That was uh, back in April. Yeah, he came back. He pitched really well. He had five innings, nine strikeouts, and he even hit a single, which he tried to stretch into a double. He actually did, but they ruled that he popped off the bag just a little bit, and he still had the tag applied, so he was out. So a pretty good return for a drum. I was glad to see it, too. And... It was something what I think they did have to do a replay on it to see that. But hey, hey, maybe that second baseman or whoever pushed him a little up into the air. <laughs> That's my take on it. Oh gosh, but he did great. It was it was fun to see him there. I was looking and see was uh, they were was it playing? I think they were playing the Rockies. The Rockies manager Bud Black had a few words. He said, "In forty plus years, I don't think I've ever seen a game where every fastball was over ninety five miles an hour." What, and here's a few words from DeGrom. Yeah, it felt good. Um, you know, working uh, through a couple of mechanical adjustments and felt like um, I was able to repeat my delivery quite a bit tonight. So um, everything felt good. Body felt good. So, you know, looking forward to hopefully running out there every five days for the rest of the year. Well, we are too, Jacob. I tell you, we want to see you out there every five days. You're, you're an amazing player. And... We were talking about Kiermaier coming back stronger. I think you're going to as well. Any other news, Brandon? Um, Looks like we're all out of news right now. Hey, well, Brandon, thank you, man. It has been an exciting week. I've enjoyed bringing our fans yet another edition of Baseball Biz. And just as a reminder, you can find Brandon at Sports Blitz Pod. You can find me, Mark, at The Baseball Biz. So we welcome any of your comments. Include some of the criticisms we've we've received <laughs> lately, but uh, hope you're enjoying this. And just as our Joe, our friend Joe West may say, "You're out of here." And so we are. Thanks again for listening to Baseball Biz. Special thanks to X Take Art UX for the music rocking forward.